0: Namaskar and Jai Hind. Welcome to another episode of The Brand Called You. Today, my guest is Professor Mickey Sooth, who is, I call him Mickey because I've known him for many, many years. Otherwise, he goes by the name of Professor Mukesh Sooth. Professor Sooth needs no introduction. He is an IIT Delhi graduate and then a fellow of IM Ahmedabad and then went on to do many things, which he will talk about it. And he has kind of given me a directive not to give him a lengthy introduction, which I think I appreciate. Uh, having known you for Miki, for so many years, first things first, you are a person who's had the, whose family background is being, you're an entrepreneur, you are a business family. And then you moved away from the business and moved into academia. Now tell us a little story about yourself, how all this happened, how did family react to it, how did they take to it, and what led to this?
1: Okay, thanks, Shesh. Um, lovely talking to you and um, happy to engage with all these topics that you have in mind. Um, I come from a semi-business family, really. Dad was in service uh, working with the company called Shell Bharat Petroleum. And he did start a business late in his career, which I joined. And then, of course, got on my own and got into engineering businesses. Um, I ran them for about 15 years and I enjoyed my initial 10 years. It was fun. It was a challenge. And uh, to take you back, uh, when I graduated from the IIT uh, in the early 80s, job opportunities were very few. So you really had to venture into something on your own, which is why I got into business. Um, The other reason was that I was keen on doing an MBA um, and most good universities um, in the US wanted work experience. So I figured, let me go to Bangalore where my my parents were, uh, join dad's business for a year or two, see what the uh, lay of the land was, and then probably go and do an MBA. Um, This is a time when I would say 30-40% of the batch used to migrate abroad. They would go to Europe, they would go to the US. So um, it is a quasi business family. But uh, leaving a business after running it for 15 years was a challenge. Um, I was fortunate. My wife stepped in. Um, I had got admission to IIM Bangalore. Um, I'm correcting you there. I'm a fellow of IIM Bangalore, not IIM Ahmedabad. And (laughs) And I was keen to do a PhD. Um, I was keen to become an academic because I enjoyed teaching. And uh, my little bit of interaction with academia showed me that if you want to be considered or taken seriously in academia, you need a PhD. So I then uh, gradually exited the business. My wife managed it for a few years um, and then uh, sold it. And I uh, completed a PhD over five years. Um, in those days, it was called an FPM, a fellow program and um, then had a brand new PhD and um, decided to become an academic. So that's the initial part of my story.
0: Right, right. So I I still remember when first time you broke this news to the friends and uh, (laughs) meeting you uh, at a common friend's house uh, at a dinner when you made a mention and how everybody went after you, uh, you know, and uh, you know, I'll not get into the details of what the jokes were all about. But obviously, there was a lot of neck pulling which happened and you, I think it was uh, to your wonderful wife, Dira. She was so patient and stood there behind you like a rock, backing you with every decision you are making. And then years of living in U.S.
1: Yeah, so the U.S. came much later uh, when I picked up my first job. But the I.M. was a, a, a fun experience. I mean, uh, initially, the students didn't believe that I was a student along with them. They thought I was a mole From the faculty (laughs) to come and listen in on their conversations. And you know, I joined the IM uh, when I was running my own business. So I felt that I'll manage the IM, you know, I'll manage my PhD, and it'll all happen very smoothly. Uh, Well, within a month of joining the IM, I had a test, an exam, where I scored four marks on 30. And uh, I realized that I'm on the verge of being thrown out. So I remember going and meeting the operations, um, the professor, and talking to him and he was younger than me. And mm-hmm. he looks at my paper very carefully and says, you know, even these four points that you've got on 30 are not really deserved. But you wrote so much, that yeah. we gave you these points. Right. So that was the first wake up call that uh, I had to get serious and uh, get out of the business, live on campus, um, in you know shared accommodation, and you know what living in hostels and dormitories is like. So right. the shared bathroom, and you initially share a room too. And right. uh, that's how the journey started. But once you put your mind on something, and you you don't have any, um, you know, no, no diversions, uh, you can make it work. Right. So I was getting back into, into studying after close to maybe 18 or 20 years of running businesses and managing people. Right. And um, I didn't even know how to type in those days. And PowerPoint was all I knew. But then you pick up the skills once you are with younger people, and one thing I've noticed is that with younger people, if you ask for help, they are very willing to give it to you right. because there's an indirect uh, communication going on with younger people that look, guys, you know something I don't, so can you help me out? Right. And they are very forthcoming with their help. They're right. very they, they 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 turn around and give you as much as they can. Uh, you, know,
0: you know, professor, you make a very interesting point, and I have to ask you and uh, a little more to elaborate on it. You know, when you say you got 4 or 30, you did not know how to type and you were reaching out for people to help and you were coming from a successful business what you had done for 15 years Mm -hmm. and here you were. Now, tell me one thing. What what were the unlearnings you went through? You know, we all focus, there's enormous emphasis on learning which we put in our whole system here. But obviously, here you were taking on a a new uh, avatar after having put 15, 18 years of you know, work experience behind you, how did you, what were the unlearnings you're focusing on? What were the biggest challenge you faced? How to let go of your past and adopt to this new student life?
1: Okay, so the first thing is that you, when you run a business, you manage people, you manage um, your clients, you manage finances, um, and you are the big picture person. So you've got people, you need to motivate them, you need to make sure that they are doing what they are supposed to once you're a student, again, it's all around you. So you have to, you know, to cut to the chase, you you have to put in those hours, you have to focus on the the topic that you need to study and understand. You have to interact with some colleagues, some other students. But that was the easy part, because I very, uh, very um, diligently looked through the yearbook to find out who were the graduates from IIT Delhi. And then I went up to them and said, look, please, guys, can I be in your group because most work in the MBA level, and I had to do an MBA before the PhD, the first right. year is in common with the MBA students. Right. So I right. went and approached them and said, look, guys, this is my problem. And right. um, can you help me? Can I be in your group? And right. they were quite willing, They quite they were quite open to the idea and I joined their group. And right. then it became, and once they know you are sincere, that you're putting in the effort um, and you want to do something, Right. Um, there were a lot of jokes behind my back. I mean, uh, when I been, when the MBS students graduated, they all introduced me to their parents, and right. it was very funny because they, they they were telling their dads, "Look, why can't you do this kind of brave acts?" And I said, "Look, it's not brave at all. It was pretty <laughs> foolish at that time. But once you are there, you learn how to swim. Right. Um, you know, none of us is going to sink. So you you struggle and you come out on top right. of it. Right, right.
0: So." Looking between then and now, fast forward 20 years later, you know, here in this country, which was very different way back in 80s and 90s, India was a very different place. There were a lot of things which were still taking shape and they had not even restarted. A lot of people were thinking there are a lot of dreams floating around. And here, this is the country thriving. How what do you think has been the entrepreneurial journey of this country? How has this country evolved? What is you when you sit there and you teach your students? What, when you said there, how would you see about this country? What do you make of this
1: country? So I think it's a totally different terrain from what uh, we had or I had when in the early or mid-80s, where right. you typically go to a bank, you would write a project report, and the banker would then lend you X amount of money, and you would then make monthly EMIs, and that's the way businesses were run. Um, I remember going to a bank and writing a 50-page business plan and the bank looked at it and then said, no, 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 this is not the way we want it. So I said, what do I do? So the bank had a consultant who then invented figures to support the end objective of getting a loan. So that was the way we went about starting our businesses. Today, for example, they don't do it at all. They, they write what is called, um, they do a lean startup. They write a business model canvas, which is one piece of paper with nine boxes. And they, they lay out their journey. Uh, secondly, very few of them are taking loans. They are taking right. in equity. They right. are going to uh, angels. They are going to VCs. Um, right. The other big thing is that in our day and age, cash was king. Right. Uh, today, many of these businesses um, make losses for many many years before they finally um, make a profit.
0: Right. But how do you relate to that? You as a professor who has the connect with the who's seen the past who's connected to the, here, where it is, just going to the class, where people are putting in new project reports and say, listen, I will burn cash for a few years before yeah. I, and you know, it's become a big valuation game. How do you see this? What is, how, how within you, What is what do you feel about this?
1: So two aspects here, Shesh. Uh, one is that uh, earlier you had a very clear vision. This was the plan that you had. This is where you wanted to get. Today, a lot of these companies pivot. So they come out with what they call a minimum viable product an MVP, they take it to the market, and then they get customer feedback. And they start then changing the direction in which they are going. Uh, Earlier, the plans were cast in stone, today, they're not. So that's the first major difference. The other is that even if they are losing money, uh, at the end of the day, and I give Amazon as a classic example, they lost money for decades. But they had a way of turning profitable and turning profitable hugely. And how. Oh, yeah. It's a question, if you have enough runway, you have enough uh, people funding you, and they share your vision, right. ultimately, you will be profitable. Right. You may first have to pick up clientele, you may have to pick up, uh, you know, the clicks online, you may have to pick up market share, and you're losing money doing all this. Right. But at the end of the day, you are going to be profitable. I mean, all the unicorns today, obviously, somebody sees value in them. They, right. It's not. Uh, no one just invests money without uh, seeing a positive possible return, and VCs need right. a return within a few years. They can't. They are not long term with you.
0: Right, right, right. So, you know, Professor, you recently co-authored a book, and I, I, I got hold myself a copy here. Right. Uh, Leapfrog six practices to thrive at work. Yeah. Now, uh, what I also hear from the great point is that this, going is, this book has been selling like a hot cake in the market and there mm. is going for reprint. Now, tell me, tell me, you know, A, what prompted you to write this? Okay. Number one. Number two, what, what is the big message, message which you think are the key takeaways which you think you would, if you were to put it up there, what is it you will put it up which will tell the, our viewers and the people who get rid of this book should be looking out in this book form.
1: So, um, Shesh, two things that I've followed very actively in life, and uh, I believe um, are people should do it to thrive today, given what we call the VUCA world, which is volatile, complex, uncertain, ambiguous, is that you have to keep reinventing yourself. You can't um, have one career and, uh, you know, like maybe our parents had join a company, Mm work with them for 30 years and retire. Today, everything has changed. Right. So, uh, the first thing that students, um, I, I urge students to do is to try these small experiments, right. on things that interest them. Right. Uh, you know, you don't take big bets, you don't take bet the company bets, but you try small things that are interesting to you. Um, right. I started my journey as an entrepreneur and then I wanted to become an academic. So, I first started teaching and I was invited as a guest speaker, as a guest lecturer. I then taught a course and I was convinced that this is what I want to do. Now then I went in for a PhD. So the PhD was not just off the cuff right. Um, 10, 15 years of being an academic, um, one of the jobs of an academic is to publish high quality research. Right. So we spent two or three years writing a paper right. and um, it gets published in a journal and right. typically seven or eight people read it, of right. which most of them are our own PhD students, right. So you have all that effort you have put in, which is going to a very small minority of people. The paper may get cited, other people may read it. But uh, it's not really widely uh, used or widely quoted or widely talked about uh, by everyone. So there's so much of of gyan lying behind in academia. Um, It's not my gyan, it's gyan that is all there in research papers. So all we have done or I have done with the book, with my co author, who's from Ashoka University, is pick up those gems, And bring them out for the world to see and read and talk about. So that's all we have done, really. It's nothing original. It's just putting simple, easy to understand practices, as we call them, um, out there for the world to read about. And one big clientele for the book are our students who are sitting for placements, who are early career professionals. Um, And the book is for everyone who wants to reinvent himself or herself. And um, change the path of their journey, like like I did.
0: Right. So, so this this book is for all those who want to be, uh, who want to take on a job and to or to stay relevant to the changing times. So, how to stay relevant in, into the changing times and to the current times, wherever you belong. Now, you know, I I have to ask you this question, and as I as a professor, uh, and we have talked about this at various occasions when we have met and amongst our friends, we've spoken about it. Many of us pick up a habit and a pattern and we build on it and that becomes our US. Today, and in those days, it used to be that you, know, you had a habit and you picked up a style of operating and it lasted with you 15, 20, 30 years. That's how our parents' life went by. Now, the life cycle of anything and everything has just got reduced to two years, three years, and sometimes even lesser than that. If you are uh, you know in the technology space, the, the, the changes are even more faster. In the non-technology space, one could last for a little little longer than that. Now, how does one stay relevant in this? Because just when you think, I want to do this, it's changed. So uh, I would
1: qualify that by saying that you need not try and stay relevant only. You need to thrive, which is what the book is about, which is one stage above being relevant. And we have identified six such practices yeah. that help you stay, that help you thrive in today's VUCA world, as we call it. Right. Uh, and I, I don't want to give too much away. And I would urge you to buy the book or borrow it and read it. But we talk of things like intellectual humility, right. the ability to know what you don't know, right, and have a big ego and a small ego at the same time. Right.
0: right.
1: So we, we've gone into this in detail. And today, companies like Google, companies like IDEO, which right. uh, employ a large number of people, um, right. young, smart people, want people who can, who can, um, who are knowledgeable, who are experts in their domain, right. but they are willing to to weigh that expertise lightly and learn from people from different domains.
0: Right. So
1: we have enough six such practices we talk about. We talk of being able to think entrepreneurially, right. where you accept and you you encourage people to fail because right. failure is no longer the bad F word where right. you fail and you need to cover it up and you need to move on beyond that. Failure right. is i going to give you knowledge and information that you don't have. Right. right. So we, we've talked of six such practices in the book right. that uh, we talk of curation. Uh, right. Today, you have a large amount of data, information circulating all over. Now, how right. do you take and segregate the noise from the real knowledge, from right. the signal, as we call it? Right. Right. So these are the kind of things that we've talked about in the book. And it's a, it's a book that is completely jargon free. Yeah. And the intent was to write a book, which if you picked up at the airport in Mumbai, by the time yeah. you land in Bangalore, right. you have read the book. Right. So it is a brief book uh, right. with a lot of citations because we wanted to be grounded in 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 in, in um, scholarly research.
0: Right,
1: and right. Um, it's a bunch of stories actually. Shesh, more than any gyan. Is just stories that I enjoy reading and that I have engaged with. Right,
0: so. Professor, I have to ask you this because this thing which has all, this has puzzled me. I grew up looking at admiring many old entrepreneurs of this country and globally and you know who have a great story who build wonderful large companies. When I read this book, it largely talks about the younger generation, the, gen, the generation which is very actively up here, who have this is not very little reference made of people of you know who built companies in the past. Or which companies still have lasted. So what, what do you think? You know, they, you, and at one place you talk about built to last and so on and so forth. So, you know, what is what is that? What, what is your take? Because I have always felt those companies focused on certain key things, which was cash in the king. You must have money in the bank. Money you have to generate, you have to create a shareholder value. Today is purely about valuation. How do you see that? How do you, you know, uh, how do you see this? Because many of these young new tech companies. Are
1: yet to make money. So Ashish, I think we talked about this a little earlier too, that ultimately, they're going to make money. Because they are being funded by by the VCs, their runway is much longer. Now, when I started a company, I had to make a a profit within a year or two, because I was servicing loans. Now, because you're not taking a loan, you're not taking debt, you're offering equity. And hopefully, your angel and your VC, (laughs) you're going to go through multiple rounds of funding. So they they are intelligent people, they know where they are putting the money down. And they ultimately see you make a profit. No one intends to make a loss forever. So we use the example of Amazon. Amazon um, lasted two decades before they started making profits. And when they made profits, they were humongous. And it is a highly profitable company today. But the old, old generation companies are all reinventing themselves. So, right. um, you still need a basic industry. You need steel, you need cement, uh, you need infrastructure. But all these companies are adding a little bit to their business model that right. allows them to take those small, not so risky bets and try right. a few things, which right. very often work. Right, right, right.
0: So, so uh, if one were to just ask you when you say, the old companies are taking risk, but obviously measured risk and they are trying to change it more. But when you see the new ones, you make a reference to a very important point is debt and the equity, which you talk about. And debt is, is a bad word right now in the parlance because you take debt, you're servicing debt, you end up working for banks. That is the joke which goes around in the new business and you take debt means you work, you end up working for somebody and you know into to pay out. But equity... While it is a good thing to have it, it's not something very easily which comes by. And how do you see what is changing here? What is changing here in the entrepreneurial environment between old and what is happening now? And what do you think will be the future?
1: So I don't think it's a black and white statement that debt is bad or good and equity is bad or good. Um, with equity, you are giving up control because you have right. then people on your board who will be guiding you. But there right. are examples of very, very successful companies. Zeroda, um, I had Nitin Kamath in my class recently, and he has never taken a single rupee of, of, uh, of equity. Right. Right. Um, 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 White Hat Jr. Um, hmm. uh, never took anyone's money. And they finally sold within three years of starting. So you have a number of companies who follow the the old route and say, why should we give up equity when we are on a solid business? And they grow organically. So it's a a more complex um, um, discussion, which um, um, it's not a black and white issue. So I would advocate that keep taking debt as long as you can. But when you reach a threshold where you find that profitability is not there immediately, but ultimately, you'll be profitable. And you need the relationships and the networks. Another thing we talk a lot about in the book is your social and professional networks. Now, they are key to your success. Right. right. And when you think entrepreneurially, you think of whom, we talk of using OPR, other people's resources. Right. So entrepreneurs leverage resources that other people own without really having them in-house because they want to keep their, their you know, the ability to pivot and keep themselves light. So right. it's an interesting discussion. Uh, generally, people prefer equity because they feel it's risk, risky. Somebody else is sharing your risk. But if you're building a company for the long run and you are convinced about its viability, right. many of them stay away from equity. Right,
0: right. So, so how does you know, obviously, entrepreneurship was never a course earlier in the past, the times when yeah. we were growing up? Uh, uh, it was not even talked about. It is something which you learned. How how a what does the whole program largely focus on? Because you are a professor and you teach entrepreneurship. That's the one question which I want you to talk about. Two, I also want you to tell what how what do you think is Are Indians cut out to be entrepreneurs? Does India have it? Though we have a great story which is brewing, but still we are a 1.4 billion uh, population. You know, When you put it against that, the percentage is very minuscule in percentage terms. So where do you think in 10 years from now, 15 years from now, what do you think is the entrepreneur story of this country?
1: So I'm going to answer the second question first. Um, In India, because of the lack of job opportunities, we have what we call necessity entrepreneurship. Where people out of pure necessity, they can't get a job, they have to be entrepreneurial. Right. Um, so I think entrepreneurship has a huge story, both at the tech level in big cities like Hyderabad and NCR in Bangalore, and right. also at a, 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 a rural level, where people are forced to pick up employment, or they pick up um, um, some a startup, which they would like to begin their journey with, right. because of lack of jobs. Um, On the first question, the research is very clear, while we don't, you can't teach entrepreneurship, you can create entrepreneurs by making them recognize opportunities, which is purely what we do. So we at the for example, we know that 95% or 90% of our students are not going to be entrepreneurial from the day they graduate. Many of them have loans, they have to service those loans. They all join the institute because they're looking for good jobs. But our, our, our alums, when they come back after 15 years of, of um, you know, experience in the real world onto campus, the one advice they keep giving us is one necessary skill is being entrepreneurial. Now, when we, when we push them further and say, look, guys, you didn't become entrepreneurs when you graduated. They then correct us and tell us, but 10 or 15 years down the line, we are either entrepreneurs within our own organizations or we are advising entrepreneurs, or we have taken the entrepreneurial route. So this right. is a necessary life skill today. Right. Right. And we teach entrepreneurship not only as an outcome for a business, right. but to be entrepreneurial as a mindset. Right. And recognize that behind every challenge, behind every irritation,
0: right.
1: is an opportunity that you can convert into a business. Right, right. So uh, we are not only encouraging people to start businesses, but we encourage them to behave like entrepreneurs with their careers. Today, right. we have music majors and literature students, and, and students with computer science coming into our classes at, at Ashoka. Um, at the IIM, we are actively looking at liberal arts students whom we right. take on. Right. Because that doctor, that right. that English major is adding value to a case discussion. Right so right. we are broadening our net and we are teaching entrepreneurship as a skill as a life skill right which right. you will need 10 15 years down the line
0: uh, professor so you talk about resources you talk about network I i just out of here by by my, my question to you is what is the role of a family in an entrepreneur's life how important and relevant it is because a lot of people have they get yeah. many things right but then they at the home front, they hit a roadblock in spite of the fact that they have capabilities or the skills or whatever you might call it. How it's what is your... interesting that you ask this question because I
1: start my course at in at the IMN at Ashoka teaching right. a case called Akhil and Rupa. And right. it's an interesting case. Akhil is from BMS College in Bangalore. He has gone and done his uh, master's at MIT. He joined a startup and the startup collapsed. So he then goes to Harvard for an MBA. And in between, he gets that Junoon to start a company and um, he's engaged to Rupa. And Rupa is in a hurry for him to pick up a job. And the case shows how, because Rupa was not fully on board, um, um, the the business did not take off. And um, I think it's very important to have your spouse, if not your entire family with you, because it's going to be a rough journey. And we often tell our students that uh, when they found a company, in the first five years, they'll be spending more time with their founders, with their co-founders, than with their own spouses.
0: Right. right
1: so right. you need to have your spouse at least completely on board, and it right. helps a lot if your spouse is also um, a breadwinner for the family. So while you take those short and medium-term risks, the right. the 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 family continues to have a steady income. So right. you need to mix and marry, and you shouldn't be in a hurry to start a business till you have. Check all those boxes, right.
0: right, Professor? One important: What has been your biggest success? What do you think, which you feel very proud of, in this journey of your thirty years of, you know, through the academics and through the uh, what I should say, the working entrepreneurial career journey? I I look at it
1: in 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 in, in installments. The urge to do a PhD was was eating me away. until one day, my wife said, either shut up and stop talking about it, or go and do it. So uh, completing that over a four year span, um, I got a lot of satisfaction from that. Mm -hmm. Um, The other thing is, I've always had this creative urge uh, to write. Um, Mm -hmm. And I, I write short fiction, but I never had the courage to publish it and take it out. So I took the halfway path where we wrote this book that we just talked about, which has stories and anecdotes. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, the fact that uh, within two or three months of publication, they're going in for a reprint. Um, I had mm-hmm. given myself one year before it would really be go back into circulation. It has been, it has been well received in the market. And I'm very proud of that. And um, again, um, I, we, we, we mentioned uh, right in the start of the book, that the book is dedicated to our students who teach us something every single day. So I think you need the intellectual humility to realize that it's not just your effort. It's uh, all the students who have engaged with you, your family, your friends, just like you. Um, I remember going to parties and saying that I I, I can't have a drink and I have to get back to the hostel before midnight because there's a test the next day. So it's been a, uh, you know, they say it takes a village to rear a child. I, I think it takes a good network and sincere friends and family and my children. Who, who helped me do these things? So um, I shouldn't take too much credit myself. It's 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 a team actually that does it.
0: Right, right. And 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 just a you know, something which is and every successful man has a little chink in the armor, what they say. Uh if you were to pin down any failures which you could talk about and your learnings from it, what did what was the failure? And if you would like to talk about it, I'm not going to push you on that. If you would like to talk any failure, which you think was a game changer, it taught you something and and if it was what it was. Yeah. So, you know, when I was
1: um, uh, looking uh, at an MBA, then the age went by because I was an entrepreneur and I could no longer look for an MBA. Um, I applied for a PhD program and I um, was very serious about it. And I got into Harvard for a PhD and um, I could not do it. And I I think that was something that I should have been a little more aggressive about. I couldn't carry my family, basically. And the business was still running. It was thriving. And they were not keen that I just change a career. But I learned something from it. And that was that if I have to do it, I have to accept the limitation that I can't move out of Bangalore. The business will have to continue running for some time till an exit comes up. And that's when I started taking the CAT, the Common Entrance Test for the IIM. And right. I did that two or three times before I could finally clear the CAT exam. And right. I learned from the uh, from the fact that I didn't do the PhD at Harvard to say, let me do what I can with the resources I have. Yeah. And um, I then joined the program at uh, Bangalore. Right. So uh, that was a huge learning that when you aim very high and you don't succeed, then take what you can with what you have. Yeah,
0: become real about it and then yes, become... <laughs> yeah. So, well, you know, Professor Sooth, I, I want to really thank you. This is a wonderful book and I'm very sure that our viewers are going to love this. Now, my question related to this is, are you writing a sequel to this? Are you Which of the next book which is you're working on?
1: No, nothing right now. I want to get back to my short um, fiction, short stories, which is something that I've nurtured. I did a course in um, uh, an MFA um, on um, writing. What is NFA? Uh, MFA. Master M- of Fine Arts in, okay. in writing. When I was at uh, in the US, we were in the US for nine years, and right. an MFA was uh, offered by the university I worked with. So I did the course. And ever since then, I've been a closeted writer. So this mm-hmm. is halfway to going out there and putting your work and it's a very scary feeling. In fact, my co author uh, threatened right. me at one stage that if I continue going the way I am, the book will never see the light of day and will just sit on a computer. So finally, he goaded me into into publishing it. And um, I was very fearful, because, you know, you, it's a sensitive thing, you've put in a lot of effort into writing it. Um, right. Me and my co author did that. And you don't want you're sensitive to criticism. Right. But fortunately, it has worked out well. So um, um, I've enjoyed the journey, um, bouncing ideas with my co author, with friends like you, uh, seeing whether and, and students, of course, um, who who were very, very aggressive in saying this has a tremendous amount of value. You know, we used to share maybe a chapter with a student right. and they would go say, Professor, you are crazy not to put this out there. Put it out there. There may be some criticism, but uh, be thick-skinned enough to accept it, but take the highs with the lows. So right. it has worked out well. And right. I don't see myself writing a sequel in a hurry, but okay. never say no. No. Uh, or never say never to anything. So let's see how it how it plays out.
0: Uh, knowing you uh, with the, <laughs> the kind of energy you have and the kind of passion you have, I'm very sure there is not just a sequel. There will really be few things <laughs> you can work on, and and I think uh, you know uh, it, it will possibly. I think I think we are just blessed to have people like you who have that energy, who have that positive attitude. And who constantly are bringing their, who go on and learn and bring that learning to, and bring it to the larger audience. Fantastic. Well, uh, so Sheesh, you're being very
1: kind. You're being very kind the way you're talking. But it's not uh, people like me. It's the conversations that people like me have with people like you, with our students, with our friends. Uh, those right. are the conversa- conversations that trigger something off. And you right. feel that, look, at an uh, individual level, we understand this. Right. But why are we not propagating this to our young students and telling them and people, mid-career people. And I mean, the the last chapter um, is is all about people, uh, we call it late bloomers. And, you know, we wrote it as a conclusion to the book, it's just four pages. And the interesting part is that the press, when they're given a copy of the book, and they want to publish a little bit of it, ask permission for the late bloomers. bloomers. (laughs) People in their 40s and 50s, and even later, like I am, um, no. See the possibility of, of making a change. And we've we'll given an example after example, uh, Indian examples of
0: late bloomers who have
1: succeeded very well.
0: Yeah, you know, so no, I think it's, it's, it's something which is very interesting. And I'm, I think we were looking forward to, we could just go on talking about this. We're a little running out of time. But I want to thank you for your time and, you know, and sharing your knowledge with us. We're looking forward to your other books and we'll come back and reconnect with you. And talk a little more on a deep dive into a few topics which we think and or you think should we should talk about. And then I think we will we will dwell on that. So, Professor Sud, thank you very much for your time. Really appreciate this. And all the very best with years ahead.
1: Thank you, Shesh. It was a great opportunity you gave me. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye,
0: Thank you, sir. Thank you for listening to The Brand Called You, videocast and podcast